Welcome to Hope Sabbath School, an in-depth, interactive study of the Word of God. I'm looking forward to today's study, Waiting on the Lord in Times of Suffering. I don't know what challenges you're facing, but we've learned some practical lessons in this series on suffering and trials. And if you've missed anything in the series, go to our website, hopetv.org slash hopess. You can watch the entire series, including today's program. You can also download the outline that we'll be using in our study, Waiting on the Lord in Times of Suffering. We're glad you joined us today and welcome to the team. Good to be together. How many of you need to learn to wait on the Lord? You say, I need that all the time, not just in times of suffering. Well, I am excited today because one of our team members, John, is going to lead our study. John, always look forward to hearing you teach. I'm also excited because we've got some remote team members with us today. Nicholas joining us from California. Nicholas, good to see you again. Glad you're with us. Pastor Puya there in Hawaii. Good to see you again, Puya. And Glenny from California. Glenny, good to see you again. I'm so thankful that we have the technology that allows some of our team members to join remotely. And I'm also thankful that you write to us at sshope at hopetv.org. Can I ask you to do that today? Just make a note, write a note. Let the team know how God is blessing my life through a study of His Word. That's what Maria did from St. Lucia. She writes and says, just checking in, I've started watching from the island of St. Lucia in the Caribbean. And I must say that Hope Sabbath School is very enlightening. I'm beginning to understand the Bible a little better. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a journey, isn't it? Yeah. I'm still learning to understand the Bible a little better. And uh, that's what happens when you study the Word of God together. Maria, thank you so much for writing to us from St. Lucia. Here is a note from Madagascar, large island off the southeast coast yes. of the continent of Africa. And uh, Toa Sindrazana mm. writes, I had to practice that. <laughs> I think I still might not have it right. But Toa Sindrazana, thank you for writing to us from Madagascar. And uh, this viewer says, I am a Sabbath school teacher. Amen. And I am blessed by the Hope Sabbath School outlines. Amen. Amen. That's what they're there for. You can download them, share them. What I do when I teach a group, I give an outline to everyone in the group mm -hmm. so they have a roadmap. In fact, that's what we have today in our study. Mm -hmm. Each team member, remote team member, has the outline to follow along. So Toa Sindrazana writes and says, God bless you. Amen. 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 We're glad we have Hope Sabbath School members in Madagascar. Thank you for writing to us. God bless you. Here is a handwritten note. Let's see. From a couple in Kansas in the, state, in the United States. And the couple write and they say, We're so blessed each Sabbath as we watch Hope Sabbath School. We love your enthusiasm. <laughs> and we love the scripture songs. Yes. My wife sings along each Sabbath. <laughs> By the way, it sounds better when you sing, because we're all singing together. We're so impressed with the team members, their knowledge of the Bible, and their sincerity. We say, thank you, Jesus, right? Amen. A miracle of God. Amen. Please accept our donation 
to continue to spread the message of Jesus and his soon return. Amen. 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 And a donation of $2,000 to bless the ministry of Hope Sabbath School. Thank you, couple in Kansas. You know who you are. We don't read names, but we do want to let you know that we're a donor-supported ministry, and your contribution enables us to be sharing this message in over 200 countries around the world. So thank you. If you've been thinking about partnering with us, go to hopetv.org slash hopess. That's our website. There's a yellow button that says donate. And thank you for what you do. One last note from Richard and Kathleen in the state of Michigan in the United States of America. Last one. Jason, aren't you from Michigan? <laughs> Would you like to give a wave to Richard? And Well, you can all give a wave <laughs> to Richard and Kathleen. They write and say, we so appreciate Hope Sabbath School every week. The programs are inspiring, to say the least. We love the different perspectives of each person as they teach. Well, John, now's an opportunity as you lead. And really, that's really important, isn't it? We don't want people to think only one person could teach. Uh, we're all working together. The scripture songs are a blessing too. Those who sing them are blessed by God in a special way. It's like we're listening to the angels sing. <laughs> Imagine what heaven's music will be like. Oh, Amen. Amen. Well, Richard and Kathleen, thank you for writing to us from the state of Michigan. We're glad you're part of our Hope Sabbath School team, too. Right now, we're going to sing our theme song for the series taken from Isaiah 41.10. And don't forget that song and 11 other beautiful scripture songs are available as our free gift to you during this series at our website, hopetv.org slash hopess. Little button in the middle, look for it. It says free gift. Click on it and download those 12 songs, including this theme song. Let's sing it together now. Here now. you 
I'm looking forward to this study, waiting on the Lord in times of suffering and trial. So, John, thanks for praying for us as we begin our study. Yes, sir. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a great joy it is to gather together to study your word. And we thank you for the encouragement and the strength that we gain from your word. Amen. Bless us as an international family as we study now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we're so glad we can, we've been studying uh, and drawing principles from Bible characters in times of suffering and trial. It's one thing to go through suffering and uncertainty when you know when it ends, mm. but it's quite another thing when you don't know the timing. Right. Let's look at a couple of verses to see what the Bible says about God's timing. Jonathan, would you start us off in reading our first one, which is in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Sure, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. And the other one is in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Nisha, would you read that one for us? Yes, and I am reading from the New King James Version. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Mm. What do these verses tell us about the time or, or inspire us about uh, time? Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, it just lays out this picture that God's ways, uh, what, what does it say? Um, no haste, but no delay, or that, that God, God works out His plans in His timing in a way that, that, that is um, for our ultimate redemption, but maybe not. Yes, Nisha. Yeah, and it, it doesn't leave that to our imagination. And that's why the word time is used in both 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 verses, is that God has his time. Um, and we are to understand that it's his time, it's not ours. Um, but I think the Bible is being explicit in that there is a time and an order in which he is taking care of things. Yeah. We're talking about timing in this lesson here. And Victor, what else do you draw from this? What yeah, uh, just something really simple, that God is always on time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we may be late. Mm. But God is always on time. Yep. Mm. We're talking about timing or waiting on God's time. You know, it seems that every generation from the time that the promise of a Savior was given, mm. every generation has waited and hoped that that fulfillment would come at their time. But it didn't. It wasn't until thousands of years later. It, Puya, I'd like to ask... Why did our loving creator, creator wait for thousands of years before, the, you know, after the entrance of sin and death, before sending his son or the incarnation of the Savior? Uh, John, that's a great question of why would Jesus come at that specific time, right? I mean, look at the historical setting of that time period. We know that uh, Jesus was born uh, during the Roman Empire. So the nations were united under one government, and uh, that period was known as the uh, Pax Romana, right? It's like a comparative peace in the region. And the common language of uh, Greek was spread all throughout the world, and that was considered as a language for the literature. And the scripture, the, the Hebrew Bible, had been translated into Greek, and so there was an easier... Uh, access to the Word of God through the common language. 
But overall, I think uh, people were also losing their faith in religions of the world, and people were ready to receive a true religion of the hearts, the human hearts that could fulfill the longings of the heart. And so I would say God was directing the history of the world and uh, chose this specific time because all of these different factors seem to line up to make it a uh, uh, prime time for Jesus to come. Okay, excellent. We're looking at uh, often how God's timing is not our timing. That's right. Mm -hmm. yep. And it is difficult to understand the purposes behind God's timing, yep. but to know that His timing is perfect. Jonathan, what sense, what lesson do you have? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, this bigger picture that's going on in the Great Controversy where you have um, this, uh, these accusations from the devil about can God be trusted, can, why are your people serving you, um, and, and um, why should um, somebody, why isn't it just about power? So I think there's a lot that had to be flushed out in history, unfortunately, and that, I mean, that's, that's part of why history has continued as long as it has, because there, uh, th things are not as simple as God's strong, um, he says he's good, so we can believe him, okay, we can all go home, that's, and, and that's, there's way more that has to be played out. Mm -hmm. There's an element of faith, isn't there, that has to take place when we don't see the fulfillment of time. Mm -hmm. Jason, what insight do you have? And building off what Jonathan said, God has given us freedom, and because He's given freedom, He has to give people the opportunity to let some of these actions play out. And yeah, as Jonathan said, some of those actions are unfortunately very uh, problematic, they're harsh, they're sad, but God in His love and mercy has given us the opportunity to make our choices. And so He doesn't, might not always step in right there. He gives people time, in this case, thousands of years to make some choices. Uh -huh. We're going to look at an example with the prophet Daniel. Mm -hmm. Glennie, would you read for us Daniel chapter 8 and verse 27? And as we're turning there, in this same chapter, Daniel records an exchange between two heavenly beings. And one is asking the other, how long will it take or until when will the vision be fulfilled? It seems like that resonates with the questionings of the human heart. How long? And let's see uh, what the prophet Daniel, what his reaction was when he thought he would have to wait an extensive amount of time. So I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and it says, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days, after I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Mm. What was Daniel's response when he believed that he had to wait now in, for an even more extensive amount of time for the fulfillment? Nisha? It's sad. It was a physical reaction. Mm. Um, he got sick um, and faint from, from knowing this. Mm. And you understand that the setting for this is that Daniel is at the end of, of the Babylonian captivity. Mm. And he, he believed, he was reading the prophecies, that the 70 years would have been fulfilled. Then God gets, gives him this vision where he sees something for an additional, do you know, mm. 2,300 days. 
And now it's uh, it throws him off. Mm. And he believes that what would be the imminent release of his people, something he sees in vision, the yeah. troubles that they would be subjected to. Mm. Mm. And he has this physical response. And I think, John, we can see that even in our lives growing up, someone hears, gets really bad news. Oh, yeah. Some people faint. Yeah. Other people vomit. Oh. Uh, it, it's not that they you know, have some kind of bacteria or something. It's just the shock of that news. Yeah. And uh, I guess I find a little encouragement because, you know, Daniel, I think, is the only one I know of in Scripture where no fault is written concerning him in spite of all of his suffering and trials. But when he hears God's timing, even though we are confessing it's perfect, God's timing is perfect, mm -hmm. it, it makes him want to, to, I don't know whether to vomit, but mm -hmm. to, he feels sick and, and faint uh, because we, we tend to see things and want them in very small compartments. And, and God's looking, as Jonathan said, at a, at a cosmic battle and a, mm. and a cosmic picture. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. We're not alone, are we, when it right, comes to man. struggling with uh, God's timing? Mm -hmm. I mean, Daniel struggled with that. Mm -hmm. We're not alone with that. Can you think of other Bible characters? Nicholas, can, who comes to mind uh, of someone who struggled with an apparent delay in the fulfillment of God's promises? Well, one person I think of is definitely Job. Uh, Job had a huge delay in which he was, you know, struggling for, you know, almost 30 chapters of this book um, with understanding what God was trying to accomplish or what God had done in his life. And eventually his faith was rewarded in, in time. And that was an example to the onlooking universe as well of uh, faith and waiting for God's timing and that trust in God was able to prove Satan wrong in that specific instance. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that resonates with us as what they've experienced. Glennie, what, who else comes to mind? I can uh, I can think of Moses and the Israelites waiting for the promise mm. of the promised land, and it took forty years plus to get that. Yeah. Mm. And we could be, Jason, who, who else do you think of? I think about a group of people, the disciples. They had a, a struggling time with dealing with Jesus' actual kingdom, you know, him building the kingdom. And they were looking for it right then and there, you know, but it was going to take time for him to establish his kingdom because it was not of this world. Mm. So the scripture is filled with people who have had to wait on the Lord mm -hmm. for his timing. Mm -hmm. And Gladys, we're not alone, are we, in our struggles when we are wondering God's timing until fulfillment of something? Who else comes to mind? I'm thinking of Abraham. God told him that he was going mm -hmm. to, to make a great nation out of him. And he was an old man. <laughs> Sarai was an old, old woman. And he was like, okay, when? So he had to wait for a long, long time till the promise, on, not that one that they tried to have outside of God's plan, but the promised son, they had to wait a long time to have him. We're going to look at a couple of characters in Scripture and learn from their experiences of waiting on God's fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Jason, would you lead us to the first one here in 1 Samuel chapter 16? And we'll read the first 13 verses. If there was someone who learned to wait on the Lord, even in difficult times, it was David. <laughs> it was David. And here in 1 Samuel 16, we're going to be introduced to him 
Uh, notice what we're going to be looking at is about how old was he mm. when he is anointed by Samuel? I have the New King James Version here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at him coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Hmm. Now there's a lot here. You understand why Samuel was, would have been afraid for his life, right? <laughs> what was the last exchange that he had with King Saul? Hmm. It was just before this that he had actually brought judgment that his reign was over, that God had right. finished his kingdom. Yeah. And so Samuel would be afraid of his life that he would go anoint the next king while Saul is still alive. Oh, wow. How are we introduced to David, or how is he introduced here in this passage? He, yes, he says that he is the youngest, and he's out with the sheep. So when he, when Jesse introduced his children, he did not consider him important enough to invite him. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, Nicholas, about how old do you think Samuel is here in this uh, passage? David. Huh? Oh, I'm David. Excuse yeah. me. Yes, <laughs> David. How old do you think? David? Well, I think, I think David is probably pretty young, which may be one of the reasons that he wasn't even called in because Jesse was like, he's not old enough to rule a kingdom. <laughs> he's, not, he's not old enough to be anointed. So I think he was probably young, maybe, maybe in his late teens. 
and we're going to see how God's timing works. This is our first introduction to David. Mm -hmm. uh, Puya, what insights do you have? I was going to suggest probably around 15, right, mid-teenage years. And uh, as, as we'll be seeing, he waited a long time for that promise or prophecy of him uh, being chosen by God to be the king, uh, becoming fulfilled in his life. So certainly old enough to care for his father's flocks, but certainly not old enough to even be considered the next right. king. <laughs> right? David is going to be uh, in, have an encounter with King Saul. Mm -hmm. And what would be the reason for this encounter with King Saul? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. Gladys, would you read those for us? Let's look at the first time they meet. Sure, I'm reading from the New International Version. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here in search for someone who can play the liar. He will play with the evil spirit from the Lord comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David will take up his lyre and play. Then relief will come to Saul. He will feel better, and the, spirit, the evil spirit will leave him. Victor, what was Saul's attitude toward David here? Well, you see at first that uh, he was kind of using him to help in his kind of mental health and this evil spirit that was plaguing him. And so he says, why don't you stay with me and be a part of my kingdom and family so that when the spirit from God comes, David could play his harp and um, drive that spirit away, which says something about godly music as well. All right. Mm -hmm. Pastor Derek. So I really struggle with this passage, John, mm -hmm. because I don't think God ever sends evil spirits mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. distressing spirits. But I'm reminded in a previous study about Job, how mm -hmm. Satan showed up in the court yeah. claiming that he had dominion over this territory because of the sin of our first parents, remember? So uh, I don't think God is wanting to distress him, but there's obviously a spiritual battle going on. But I would agree with what Victor said, because everything we know about David from the book of Psalms is that he worshiped God in his music. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that illustrates that the spirit is not from God, but is actually part of Satan's kingdom, or maybe even Satan himself, but the power of God's word in these scripture songs is, is driving back the force of darkness. So mm -hmm. I really see the battle, and, and what we'll see in this story is 
is will, will Saul choose to totally surrender his life or will he become controlled by these evil forces? Thank you so much for pointing that out because there's a lot of things that we are realizing today that perhaps did not have vernacular for in the scripture times that today we identify as mental health issues or anxieties that plague people. And Saul certainly would have been facing some of these things, mm -hmm. certainly um, as a result of his decisions to go against God's will and what that was doing to him. Mm -hmm. Saul's attitude is going to change mm -hmm. toward David. But before we get there, Gladys. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that um, also the fact that he had been rejected by God and that he was, in a sense, far away from God in his will, that I think that also played a lot with this, you know, evil spirit taking over him because he was just not abiding in the presence of God or following his directives yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. Very good. Jonathan? Yeah, I, mean, I think sometimes people say that, that God took ownership of things that he allowed to happen. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, he often said that things come from the Lord, that things he allowed to happen. But um, I was thinking that for David, this must have been kind of like um, an, an interesting, he, he gets anointed and the next thing, he's getting called by the king. <laughs> and so like he must have been thinking like, wow, well, th things are, this is gonna go quickly or you know, work out well and something. Of course, it's in a situation where the guy is, you know, demon possessed, but um, it's it just interesting the timing and, and to the question of, of, of what he must have thought the timing would work out, um, how the timing worked out. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, Saul likes David. Mm -hmm. He's right. soothing his mm -hmm. troubled mind, isn't he? Mm -hmm. exactly. But there's going to be a series of events that will change his attitude. Uh, Victor? Yeah, and, and little did David know that after he left his sheep to go minister in the courts, that God would be preparing him for when he would become king. Yes, he was anointed, but he didn't become king till years later. Mm -hmm. And so even when we're waiting, mm -hmm. practically, in our trials, in our seasons, we have to understand that God is preparing us for something great. Amen. We just don't know it yet. We don't see it. Amen. So we have to trust Him. Let's see one of those great things mm -hmm. that David did under the Spirit of, of God. Glennie, would you read for us chapter 17? We're still in 1 Samuel. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've got a good portion we're going to read here. Let's, uh, we'll split it. Verses 32 to 40, if you could read here for us, Glennie. Let's see one of these things that we see David's uh, attitude, or Saul's attitude, beginning to change toward David. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 40, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion 
and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the book and put them in a shepherd's back, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. <laughs> mm. You know, the, the, the people of Israel, the armies, are afraid because there's one giant soldier of the Philistines who had been taunting and defying the armies of Israel, yeah. and nobody was willing to go out and face him. Right. Mm -hmm. And here comes this shepherd boy mm. who is now going to gain and earn even greater trust with King Saul. But let's keep reading. Nisa, would you continue reading for us verses 41 to 51? Funny, first of all, to think how uh, David's wearing Saul's armor <laughs> and he's uh, unable to, uh, to get much traction. What happens next? All right. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give, you f give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, oh, yeah. the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the so stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him there. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and took the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Hmm. You know, if only we could face our giants in life, those trials, like David, coming in the name of the mm -hmm. Lord. Mm -hmm. If we could just encounter and confront those things, knowing that we are coming in the name of the Lord. And that's how David did. That's what he came with. Yes. So at this point still, from here on out, uh, actually David then is taken into battles with King Saul. Yeah. What do you think this does, uh, elevates David's, stature or even influence with King Saul still at this point after what he just witnessed. Victor? Yeah, well, you see the process of time in our study that 
First, he says, um, bring him to my court so he can play the harp. Then he wants to stand up and fight this Philistine. And he says, you're too young. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go, because I'm scared, <laughs> take my armor. He doesn't do it. And then he ultimately, you know, kills Goliath. And then after, in, if you read verse 55, he says, who is this David? And the, his armor bearer says, well, it's the, the son of Jesse. It seems like Saul is coming in and out of some type of amnesia or forgetting, or he's feeling, I love, I love David, I have a, a, an affinity for him, and then, I don't know, you know, is he trying to start, you know, to take my spot, or right. is he going to have more fame than me? And his attitude now starts to change, so he wants to keep an eye on David. So he says, come back and, and stay in my house. And so he's keeping his eye on David, but not for a good reason. And he offers his oldest daughter for him right. to marry. Yeah, he wants to keep him close. <laughs> Pastor Derek? So I, I'm thinking at first, probably King Saul is just relieved that yeah. the, the, the giant's dead. Yeah. 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 Because he was the one who should have fought the, the giant. Hmm. Yeah. He was the tallest man in Israel, and he was the king. Mm -hmm. So I think relief. But, but as you mentioned, later when the people start saying Saul's killed thousands, by the way, that tells us he was a formidable foe. Saul's killed thousands, but David tens of thousands, mm -hmm. then this jealousy begins yeah. to grow in his heart, right. and, uh, and, and things get much worse for David. Yeah. Even though he's been anointed as king, and God's timing is not quite what he'd expected. You've, you've alluded to that. Let's look at those. Puya, would you read for us those verses in chapter 18, verses 6 through 9? The tide is going to turn now. Let's see what brings that about. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. What led to Saul's attitude to change toward David? Yes, Nisha. Jealousy. Uh, there is uh, there are people singing greater praises to his servant than to the king, um, and and the blood starts boiling. Yeah, very good, Jason. And it's almost like a recognition. Saul realizes what is happening that the kingdom's being transferred, but he doesn't want to accept it. He's not willing to accept God's will, and so he's trying to hold on. Yeah, yes, he is. And notice how it even uh, deepens. Jason, would you read for us verses fourteen and fifteen in that same chapter? Notice what it says here. All right, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the Bible says, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. So he is angry, and now it says that Saul fears yeah. David. Mm. Amazing how the things that would lead to one admiring someone becomes the source of the same thing to right. turn exactly. on that someone. Victor? Yeah, and again, in this waiting, waiting through times of suffering, 
David is learning how to deal with the politics mm -hmm. of the court and the kingdom. Some one day they can be your friend, the next day they'll be your enemy. Mm -hmm. And God is showing if you deal wisely in my word and have that connection with me in the time of trials, I'll be with you. And not even your enemies can hurt you. Mm -hmm. You see? So he's learning how to be a king during this time. God is preparing him. You've gone through times in your life where you think where everything was working well. You were in good favor with supervisors or with others. Something happens. Uh, circumstances change. Mm -hmm. And now David, who was in the good graces of the king, is running for his life mm -hmm. because King Saul is off on a campaign to find him to murder David. We're going to see how now David is learning to wait on the Lord. Puya, would you read for us, um, well, you just read for us there um, uh, on 18, 6 through 9. Let's look here in chapter 26, if we can jump there. Chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, verses 1 through 11. Hmm. And Jonathan, if you would read for us uh, those verses. All right. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verses 1 through 11. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. Jeshimon, but David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner the son of Ner. The commander of his army was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, will, Who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and they, there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one strike of the spear, and I will not smite him twice, strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down to, into battle and perish. The Lord, forbid, the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. Mm. Pastor Derek, David had an opportunity there. And it's going to be... If, if uh, Puya is right that he was about 15, mm. 2 Samuel says he's 30 when he's anointed king. Mm. So he waits as long as he's been alive. Mm. 
before the the hmm. the promise is fulfilled. I know we want to talk about Elijah too, but no. but now when I go to Psalm 27 where it says, I would have lost heart mm. unless I believed I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I think David knew what he was talking Talk about. about mm -hmm. he, 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 the Lord had to strengthen his heart. From, from being a teenager to age 30, uh, he was being hunted down, and finally the promise came. And what it tells me, John, is that well, it's like Jonathan said, God, God's purpose is no, no haste or no delay. That God is, is not failing in fulfilling his promise. But sometimes, <laughs> from our perspective, it mm -hmm. seems like a long time. And uh, I think it's hard for us sometimes to, to fully grasp God's timing. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicholas, I mean, he's running for his life for a better part of his young life. Mm. Right. Why did David choose to trust in God's timing here? Your thoughts? Well, I think one of the reasons that he had chosen to trust in God's timing is actually because of his experience is in running. I think that he had seen that God would have an end to that and that God had sustained him thus far and would continue to do so. And he doesn't just wait on God's timing, but he also waits on God's method. Um, as he says to Abishai that, you know, Saul may fall in battle or something, but I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to you know, deliver myself, I'm going to wait for God's deliverance. Mm. Oh. And so I think another reason that he was willing to wait is because he knew that it wasn't something that he was going to do on his own behalf. He wasn't going to save himself. God was going to save him. Mm. Mm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Wow. He was not going to save himself. So, yeah. Mm. Puya? What I find so surprising from the life of David is that Yes, he waited about 15 years or so to become the king of Judah. And at that point, the other tribes, the, the, the kingdom of Israel was not yet under him. And he waited seven more years. So in total, he waited over 22 years uh, for the promise of God to come true. And I mean, he could have fight, you know, the other kingdoms and take the, take the position by force. But he chose to wait, and I find that to be so inspiring. Now, Jason, let's see how King Saul responded to his life being spared. Let's read these verses, 1 Samuel 26, 21 to 25. The New King James Version says in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21 through 25, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David. For I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So how did Saul respond? blesses him at the end. <laughs> he was humbled, right? He yeah. blesses him, indeed. 
Now, of course, we're told that in Second um, Samuel 5 and verse 4 that indeed David was 30 years old when he finally became king. But he, there's some things that he records in the, in the book of Psalms 27, 13, and 14. Gladys, would you read those verses for us? There's some record in the Psalms that tell us how David's personal experience added strength and it adds strength to us today. I'm reading from the New International Version, version Psalms 27, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident on this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Amen. What a promise there from David. Mm. We're going to look at Elijah here. Uh, and the next one is 1 Kings chapter 18, 36 through 40. Glenn, if you would read those for us, you know, after times of spiritual um, victories is often when spiritual tragedies may come. After times of triumph, there may be times where we're susceptible to tragedies or falls. And notice what happens First of all, Elijah witnesses a great victory, and that's recorded in 1 Kings 18, 36-40. So I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What was the great victory that the prophet Elijah witnessed there? It may not be what we think, but what do you see? Nisha? Yeah, soon as you said, it may not be. I'm, I'm doubting myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I mean, the the prophets of Baal and the pro and and God's prophet had a showdown, and and uh, one both claiming that they had the real God, um, and uh, it was ultimately uh, the God of Heaven who who rained down and demonstrated His power. Um, at which point, um, the uh, gods of uh, sorry, the prophets of Baal couldn't make anything happen. Um, and in that, um, uh, people realized who the true God was, um, at which point uh, the prophets of Baal were destroyed. Mm. I think yeah. that's a good point, uh, that the, really the battle was not Elijah beat the prophets. It yeah. was that God was shown yes. to be the, mm. the Lord, that's right. the one true God. Mm. And uh, you, what, what you alluded to earlier, though, is, um, you know, in terms of God's timing, Elijah might have thought, well, that settles it. And the next news he gets is that there's a death warrant yes. from a wicked queen named Jezebel that before the sun goes down, she's going to see him dead. So it's like, God, did we get that mixed up? I thought we just 
settled mm. this great victory on yeah. Mount Carmel. That's right. So it brings confusion to, to Elijah. That's right, because he had just finished witnessing this, and the people there where it says that they called on the name of the Lord. Mm. And that's indeed where the victory was. But then things changed, and they changed quite rapidly. Uh, Jason, would you read for us um, in also 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4, and notice what leads Elijah to flee. The New King James says, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die, and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Mm -mm. Elijah had just witnessed the great victory of God. I mean, what a miracle that took place. Mm -hmm. But here he lets fear take over him, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. He's afraid for his own life. And he flees and he's on his own. He's isolated. But even there, God does not leave his troubled prophet alone. Mm -hmm. He's going to come to him. And Jonathan, would you read for us these verses in uh, chapter 19, verses 5 through 16? All right. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. <laughs> And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Puya, what sort of encouragement can we draw from God's response here with his depressed prophet? Mm. I think it's very clear that God cares for his workers, his prophets. And today, I think this is a good encouragement for pastors that even when we're burned out because of all the pressures and all the work that is ahead of us, God continues to pursue us, mm. allowing us to rest and recover. Amen. Amen. And you know, John, here's an example of someone not waiting on the Lord, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But the beautiful picture of the immeasurable, unfailing love of God is God does not discard Elijah. No. Mm -hmm. He sends an angel to feed him, sleep some more, feed him again. And eventually he says, now you go and do these things, crown this person as king and do these things. God's saying, I still have a work for you to do, but, but let me tell you, when you don't wait on the Lord, mm -hmm. you can act hastily. You can mm -hmm. be suicidal even like mm -hmm. he was. Mm -hmm. So to me, I find it very encouraging because I think we've all had times when we've literally run ahead of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Lord doesn't abandon us. No. He sends angels to help us. And then mm -hmm. he says, now let me tell you, if you'd waited on me, what I would have asked you to do, and I'm still with you. Amen. Amen. Aren't there biblical promises that are given to those who wait upon the Lord? Amen. Right? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew, renew their, their strength. strength. 
right? They shall be mounted with wings as eagles, so on and so That's Isaiah 40 and 31. And the just moments that we have remaining is, can you talk about a time in your life where you have had to wait on God's timing for the fulfillment of some promise, healing or deliverance? Quickly, someone who may uh, have had to deal with a waiting on God's timing. Please, Gladys. Well, I'm still waiting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, four years ago, he delivered me from a brain tumor, and now the threat is coming back. So I'm waiting for the fulfillment, fulfillment of his promise. Yeah. We can draw encouragement, can we? Yeah, Victor, give him one quick Yeah, one. quickly, just like she's saying, we, some people watching may be still waiting. And this lesson is an encouragement for all of us to continue to trust in God and to be of good courage. Because while we're waiting right now, um, He has a plan for our lives. Amen. 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 And what an encouragement this draws and leads us to. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. What a great study. I, I need to learn to wait on the Lord more consistently. I'm raising my hand right now and saying, I need to wait on the Lord. Anybody raising your hand too? Um, some t but I'm just so thankful that if I do take a wrong turn and run ahead, the Lord sends an angel and says, Derek, come back, right? Uh, he's not going to abandon us. Um, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Friend, maybe someone's watching today. Maybe you're watching with tears in your eyes and saying, Derek, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going through. But I'm here to tell you God knows, and he is with you. <laughs> wait on him and he will strengthen your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you promised I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Teach us to wait upon you, to rest in you, to trust you, our strong deliverer and soon coming king. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks for joining us for Hope Sabbath School today. What a series. You say, Derek, I need those songs of hope. Go to our website, download them. I need to hide God's word in my heart because I want to learn to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And don't keep the good news to yourself. Go out and be a blessing to those around you.